0: All right, I want to, as we head toward our time studying God's Word together, as we do every Sunday, and it's part of our, one of our many ways we gather to worship together is to look to His Word together, and I'm actually going to start with something seemingly off the wall, seemingly goofy, um, and and then we'll see kind of where that goes, Uh, but it's kind of random. Anybody remember this? Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. An advertisement for... Alka-Seltzer, but here's why I brought it up. Uh, That was a famous tagline in in an old commercial for Alka-Seltzer, plop, plop, fizz, fizz. But here's why I bring it up. What is, um, what kind of literary device, I don't know if that's the right term, is a plop, plop, fizz, fizz? Anybody know the fancy word? Onomatopoeia, which means that the word is spelled or the word is pronounced like the sound. Right? That, it, that it's trying to describe. That's what onomatopoeia is. Plop, plop, you can, you can just see the, 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 the medicine dropping in the water. Fizz, fizz, you can just see the bubbles. So onomatopoeia is when a word sounds like what it's describing. Uh, and so those, we have a lot of those, right? I mean, when I play basketball, the ball always goes, swish. <laughs> okay, maybe not always. But swish is onomatopoeia, right? If we throw a rock in the pond... Bloop. Right? Um, You've got animal sounds. You guys can help me out with some onomatopoeia. A cow says. A bee goes. Yeah. So are we tracking with onomatopoeia? Now I'm just going to leave that hanging and we'll see where we come back to that. Okay. uh, We are in a series of messages called Witnesses as we teach our way through the book of Acts. Uh, and um, here's what we are talking about in this series: teaching ourselves, teaching uh, from God's word through the Book of Acts. Uh, the series is called Witnesses because of Acts chapter one, verse eight, that'll be on the screen here. But you will receive power, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We, as followers of Jesus, are to be his witnesses. Witnesses to what? Witnesses to the gospel good news. The gospel is the spectacular news that God doesn't leave us stuck in our sin, that God doesn't leave us suffering the consequences and the separation from God. The gospel is the spectacular good news that God rescues sinners like you and I through the perfect life, the sacrificial death, and the victorious resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel good news. And we as his followers then are to be proclaimers, testifiers, witnesses to that. And so as we begin this passage that we get to today in a moment, I want us to I want to ask this question. How effective is our witness? If we are to be witnesses, witnesses to Jesus, our lives and our, our words and our actions are to point to him, are to direct people toward what God has done for us through Jesus. And how effective is our witness? Do our lives, do our words and our actions, do our interactions with each other, are those a good witness to those who don't yet know Jesus? We want to we ask God how to be witnesses who are effective, how to work together as a church family, how to care for one another as a church family so that we have an effective witness that points to Jesus. So if you haven't done so already, grab your Bible, open up to Acts chapter 6. Love you to have your Bible on your lap and open with me and we keep our finger in God's word to hear from him. Uh, You can also, of course, pull out your device and find Acts chapter 6 in your Bible app. If you're anything like me, the only downside to using the Bible app on your device is then you've got your phone in your hand and all kinds of other information pops up or games could be played or whatever, but let's stay with God's word, okay? (laughs) So find a place to look with me at Acts chapter 6, and uh, in a moment we're going to start reading at verse 1, but again, real quick before we read the verses that we're studying today, I want to get us, um, I already did something goofy and talked about onomatopoeia. Now I want, to, I want to ask a serious question and have us do a little self-examination, a little reflection on what goes on in, in our minds and our heart as we go through life. And I think this will set us up to hear from God's word. And my questions for you are this. Um, when you feel slighted, think of a situation, hopefully, maybe you have an example recently even, when you feel slighted, mistreated, has there been something that you've experienced where you felt overlooked, maybe even discriminated against? Try to imagine a time like that and then let it bubble up. What would be your typical response? Revenge. Okay. <laughs> yeah. What are, what are some of the things that you see or you hear bubbling up out of your heart and mind? When you feel slighted, mistreated, overlooked, when you feel like life isn't fair, when you feel people are letting you down, if we're left to our own flesh and our own, lives, our own lives, what kinds of responses might come out of our mouths? What kind of actions might we respond with? When, when relationships are difficult, when our world involves chaotic circumstances, when uh, things seem disorganized, when they're not going our way, when you don't like what you're experiencing, how do you react? And just, I want you to think of, of if you're honest with yourself, I mean, we, we would love to say, I always react appropriately. God's always helping me to respond to these difficult situations with grace and understanding. I hope so as we become more like Christ as he is changing us into his image. We will increasingly do that. But, dot, 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 what are some of the other reactions, if you're honest with yourself, uh, that might come out? So I got us thinking about that because let's, as we start reading here in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, there's a problem that arises, and let's see how the followers of Jesus in the early church respond. Now, in these days, when the disciples of Jesus were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The daily, by the way, just the daily distribution there could also be translated the daily service or the service of food. There's an original language thing that has the idea of service, we're going to keep that as a thread. We'll come back to that today. But here's the situation. Here's the problem that arises in verse 1. The early church is, is growing rapidly. And so... Um, the early church is growing. There's more and more people that are choosing to follow Jesus. And so, like, all, like often is the case, there are growing pains. That these, these new situations and this new amount of people are causing difficulties and things that need to get figured out. and things that are, Some things that are going really well and some things that are not going as smoothly. And so, these growing pains have created a, um, an issue. An issue has come up where one group is feeling slighted, where one group is feeling like another group is getting better taken care of. And, and that issue is arising, and it has potential to become a significant conflict. And so what's happening here is the Hellenist the is referring to, um, so you've got these disciples of Jesus, these newly converted to Christianity, these, these Jewish Christians... And the Hellenists is referring to those who had lived outside of Israel, that had lived outside of Israel in other Greek-speaking places, and therefore the Hellenists were were Greek speakers. And the Hebrew, the the Jewish Christians referred to here as the Hebrews, are the ones that had stayed local to Israel and whose primary language was Aramaic, and they had been going to synagogue, Jewish synagogue, and, and those services were in Hebrew. And so, at at bare minimum, what kind of potential for conflict do we have? We've got language differences, potential ethnic and cultural differences as well. And so that's where this problem rises up. And the passage identifies a legitimate issue. The, The passage is pretty clear. It says the widows were being, what? Neglected. The widows were being neglected. There's a clear issue here. There is a problem. At bare minimum there's a perception of mistreatment, but likely, likely more to it. And here's what happens, the early church, the news of Jesus is going out, more and more people are following Jesus, it's exciting times, the church is growing, and the evil one, Satan, doesn't like that at all. And Satan sees the opportunity to sow seeds of division this is going great. The word of Jesus is spreading. More and more people are p- believing in Jesus, and they're coming together, and they're working together, and they're showing love for one another, and they're sharing all their goods, and all these things we've been reading in past chapters, and, and Satan's going, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <clears> to <throat> get in there and mess with this. And he sees an opportunity to sow seeds of division. He thinks, if I can turn people against each other, maybe they'll stop doing what they're supposed to do, which is pointing people to Jesus, Right? If I can get them to fight with each other, less energy will go to the mission of proclaiming the gospel good news of what Jesus has done. And so, in your, in your, uh, in your Bibles, in verse 1, when the disciples were increasing in number, what, what do they do? What's the, my, the word, my, my, my translation says a complaint arose. Anybody reading a, a version of the Bible has a different word for it? Some translations might say muttering, some, some hard feelings, some, some translations might say grumbling, or here's onomatopoeia, murmur, 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 the widows are getting the food and they have, their plates are piled higher, And murmur, murmur, murmur. Satan sees an opening and hopes to turn people against each other, and in our flesh, when life doesn't go the way we want, one thing that could bubble up is the onomatopoeia, murmur, complain, mutter, grumble. Do all those words have a positive or a negative connotation? Muttering, grumbling, complaining, murmuring. So where I'm going with this is I'd like to suggest that, the, that division weakens our witness. That division between believers, friction, conflict, division between believers, weakens our witness, weakens the example that we are giving off to those around us who need Jesus. So before we read the rest of this passage and see what does happen in God's word, that's of course most important, is we're going to continue the passage in a moment, and we're going to see what does happen in God's word. But before we do that, I think it would be maybe a good exercise, just a challenge to our, to our thinking, to consider what could have happened here. After verse 1, what, what, how, how could, how maybe, what happened if things had spiraled downward? So let me ask you this. We've read through the beginning of the book of Acts. We've seen that the believers are following Jesus and and the church is growing and that there's different ways they were caring for each other. And one of the ways was that they were making sure to take care of the needs of the poor and they were sharing what they had so they could provide for the needs of the poor. Who was responsible? Anybody remember from chapter 4? Who would have been responsible for providing food for the needy? Look on the screen at verse... um, Acts chapter 4, there was not a needy person among them because they were all selling what they had and bringing the proceeds and laying them at at whose feet? At the apostles, at these leaders of the early church. They were laying the money at the feet of the apostles so that the apostles could distribute it to any who had need, including the widows who, who needed to be provided for. So if things had spiraled downward, if they started with murmur, murmur, who's in charge of the distribution? Who would we say is in charge of it? So who should we blame? Who should be in charge of fixing it? Murmur, murmur, murmur. Now, do the apostles have some responsibility? Absolutely. They're leaders of God's people. They absolutely have some responsibility. Um, but I think this is an opportunity for us to check our expectations. A problem arises, murmur, murmur. Do we point our fingers toward where the solution would come from? Or do we consider what part we might have in, in the problem? Do we consider what part we might have in the solution? Is simply dumping our complaints on the leaders, is that fair expectations? But I'm not making light of the problem. There, there is a legitimate issue that has arisen. The widow's Some of the widows are being neglected. And it has potential to become a serious what? Conflict. So, again, just, just for a couple more moments, we're imagining that the murmur, murmur spirals downward and continues before we see what does happen in God's word. We're imagining what could have happened if we're not careful in asking for God's help. So if we're not careful and we think that apostles are supposed to be in charge of the food, and the food isn't happening very well. Help me out. What are some assumptions that we might make about the apostles? Too busy. What? They're not good leaders. They're lazy. They're eating the food. They don't, they don't care about maybe, what if, what if we, an, an uncharitable judgment, an assumption, they don't care about the widows? Or they don't care about those specific widows, exactly. So if, we do, if we're not careful, our murmurs spiral downward into assumptions, uncharitable judgments, frustration. And, uh, and that friction, that friction is leading to a potential division, a potential conflict. That friction between groups of Christians or between Christians and their leaders, that is leading to choosing sides, that's leading to disunity, and it's leading to distracting the leaders from what they are called to do. And that's what we're going to see as we continue the passage, so I'll leave that one there. But division weakens our witness. Do we see that? The potential for that in this situation here? Had this situation in, 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 chap, in verse 1 that started with murmur, murmur, had it spiraled downward, division weakens our witness. If we're, uh, we're not going to represent Jesus as well, if we're fighting with each other all the time. All right, um, if you're, humor me. If you're willing and, and able and would like to, please stand up. You'll, you'll enjoy the stretch break anyway. I was a youth pastor a long time ago, but I don't really remember, uh, is Red Rover, Red Rover the one where there's two teams on opposite sides, and then you say, come on over, and then you try to run, and you try to break through, right? Yeah. Am I on the, okay, whew, at least I'm talking about the right game. So uh, humor me here, and imagine with me that we're playing Red Rover, Red Rover, and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna reach next to you, and you're gonna, but you're not going to join hands, I want you to bring your palms an inch or two away from each other. Go like this, like you're forming a line for Red Rover, but there's an inch or two between your palms. Or imagine, or imagine, what if you were making your Red Rover line with your pinkies? Imagine that. Red Rover, Red Rover, send Derek right over, and I come hauling towards your line. Is your line very effective right now? There's division. And your division weakens your Red Rover playing. And your division weakens your witness to the world. It negatively impacts church health when we fight amongst each other. And it negatively impacts our church's health. And it negatively impacts... Stay standing. I'm not done yet. Uh, And it negatively impacts... um, our ability to make a difference to the world. And so if division weakens our witness, I think as we continue through God's word this morning, we'll see that the opposite is true, that unity strengthens our witness. So since you're still standing and we're still playing Red Rover, Red Rover, grab hands. Or better yet, hook elbows. Red Rover, Red Rover, send Derek right over and I come hauling toward your line. Are you doing a little better now? Well, you're doing a little better, but some of you are scared, like that dude is 6'5 and 220 pounds. <laughs> okay, you can have a seat. So So if we're playing Red Rover, clasp elbows. And if we're being a church family, clasp elbows and decide that we're not allowing issues that bubble up and def- to divide us. Decide that we're going to link elbows and choose brothers and sisters in Christ as more important than the issues that bubble up that pro- provide or could lead to potential conflict. So now... Man, you guys are like, wow, we're only in verse 1. <laughs> I think it's going to go a little faster from here. But Michael and I were really long-winded, too. So, you know, so buckle up. We got more to do. Okay. So let's go back then to verse 1. And now let's, instead of imagining what would have happened if things spiraled down, murmur, 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 spiral down. Now we go back to verse 1 and we see what God's word has for us this morning. The widows are being neglected. Inst- Church family, just help me with this one. Instead of murmur, 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 murmur and assumptions and uncharitable judgments, if you don't like how something's going or if you don't understand or you feel mistreated or you're not sure you're getting it, what might you do besides murmur? Go to the person directly. Go to who's bothering you. Go to who you're not sure you understand. Go to who you think you might, I, don't, I, I feel hurt, I feel mistreated, I think they're against me, but I'm not going to assume the worst, and I'm going to go to them, and I'm going to ask. Graciously, directly, follower of Jesus to follower of Jesus. Verse 2, and so the 12, these are the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. I want to, use, I want to note again that in the original language, there's another version of that same, another version, a similar root word that was in verse 1 talking about serving um. In verse 1, it was talking about the daily service, the daily distribution of food. And now in verse 2, uh, the apostles say, we should, uh, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. It's the same. Uh, there's a similar root there. What verse 2 tells us, though, is the apostles, do the apostles take the situation seriously? Yes. They hear the complaint arise, and they call a meeting. <clears throat> the apostles take the situation seriously. They're not in. Indi- you can't read this passage. <clears throat> Excuse me. You can't read this passage and think that the apostles are indifferent. The issue is not denied, the issue is not brushed over. Um, and, and, uh, and it's not that they're above serving tables. An uncharitable judgment, an assumption might go well, they just don't want to serve tables. But the apostles, these leaders, have said to themselves, okay, it's not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. What's really going on underneath there, perhaps, is they're weighing the pros and cons, weighing the costs, and going, okay, um, if I do that, if I help out with this distribution of food... There's going to be very little time to do what God has told me to do. Also, if I, spend, if I become too busy with all these various tasks, it's possible that I will not prioritize my spiritual health. These apostles are saying, I need to prioritize my relationship with God. I need to spend time in the Word and in prayer. And so I do not want to dry up spiritually. And also, they may also be thinking, if we... If we apostles pull this one and go, well, I guess if we want the tables uh, served right, we better do it ourselves, which is a terrible leadership attitude. And they don't do that here. Instead, the apostles go, you know what? If we started doing all that work too, no one else would get the joy of participating in the family. We want everyone to have the joy of participating in the family. Verse 3. So the apostles continue. They first, in verse 2, they said it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And now they continue in verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, have a good reputation, and they're full of the spirit and of wisdom. And then we will appoint them to this duty. So here's the apostles' proposed solution in verse 3 they don't assign blame, they hear about the problem that the, some of the widows are neglected. They they don't brush it over, they take responsibility, they take it seriously, they go, we need to help out with this situation, we don't want to leave it like this, but they don't blame anybody, they don't go, well, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's my fault, they go, they start working on a solution, and the apostles decide to include the people in the solution. And these tasks, this this task being assigned of serving the tables um, has, has a lot to do with serving. Serving others. There's there's some um, commentators on this passage that think that this passage is the beginning of the role in the church called deacon. If if you've been around church at all, there's these leadership roles. Elders is what we have that our, our leadership team is made up of our elders. Some churches, not faith church, have another role called deacons that serve in various ways so that they free up the elders to focus on the word and prayer. And, and their leadership responsibilities. And so here's the thing: yes, the word deacon is a servant, has some of that same language as what we've seen previously in the passage about serving. Um, but we're gonna just we're just gonna go bigger picture here. Then I, I think it could it could be talking about these church roles, these official titles. But I think more importantly for all of us, there's a bigger picture, broader explanation that's more valuable. Um, but it is interesting to note about verse three: these spiritual qualifications. They, they, they take this role seriously. The widows are being neglected. They want the daily distribution of food to go well. So, in taking it seriously, they put the apostles say there's these qualifications: men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. And and we see that these men that are selected to serve in this role not only serve, and that's important, and make the daily food distribution uh, go well, but we're going to see that a couple of these men in, in the, that fill this role become significant leaders and preachers in the, in the early church. And so there's spiritual qualifications for who they are. Um, but aside from those titles, more broadly, what does this mean for you and I? What is this example, What does this passage of Scripture telling us Uh, today. I think it's this, that we all have an important part to play in the body of Christ. The Bible elsewhere talks about the church as the body and each individual person as a member or a body part and how each part is important to the whole. And if each part does his or her job well, it frees up the other parts to do their jobs well. If I am who God made me to be and serving out of my spiritual gifts, if you are who God made you to be and are serving out of your spiritual gifts in the area that he called you or you to, then we free each other up and we allow everybody to function in a healthy manner. And and so in addition to the fact that what we see here in this passage is a problem arises and the solution comes, the problem arises from the community and the solution comes from the community. The answer is is the family coming up with with how to respond. We all have a piece uh, of the importance of striving for unity. We all have spiritual gifts. And our spiritual gifts are for the benefit of the church family and for the glory of God. Our spiritual gifts, the way God made us, and the things that we offer to our church family— are not for our glory. They're not to make me look good or make you look good or us to be so impressed with that or that. It's our our giftedness is given to us by God so that we will serve others and glorify Jesus. And unity strengthens our witness. As we all have a part to play, as we all strive for unity, as we all together decide that we are not gonna allow Division, to derail us from the mission God has called us to, our unity strengthens our witness. And now, standing side by side, elbows locked, we have a stronger witness to those around us who need Jesus. Verse 4. But we apostles, they say, will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And again... Right in there, where the word is translated ministry, is another similar root word that goes with service. So it's saying, we need people to serve the tables, and the elders, the apostles are saying, we are going to serve the word. They, it's not that they're above the role, it's not that they're brushing over the problem. The apostles are recognizing that God has given them a job, God has called them to a certain role. And that they need to stay focused on that. They they recognize that the most crucial aspects of a church are the ministry of the word, teaching of God's word, and and being devoted to prayer. So they stay focused on that. The apostles decide to stay focused on that, and they delegate, and they raise up these other leaders. They say, find from among you these men who are spiritually qualified, and we're going to raise them up, and we're going to delegate responsibilities to them. And in doing so, what happens when that happens? When the apostles delegate this job to these men, what happens? A couple things happen. They get to be part of the ministry because God has a part for all of us. And then we also, also mentioned already that as these, uh, as these new uh, servants are raised up and begin to serve, they're also being a blessing to the apostles because the apostles are freed up to focus on what God has given them to do. And unity strengthens witness the apostles could have held on to all everything the apostles could have said well we need to be in charge of everything we need to oversee everything everything needs to be our responsibility and they could have thought that everything would go better if i stay in charge of it and instead they delegate and raise up more people to serve and lead and their ministry is actually more effective Because they are multiplying themselves, because they aren't hoarding the power, they aren't hoarding the responsibility. The leaders are saying, who else might God be working in, and who else is part of the team, and who else is part of the family? Verse 5, and what they said, so what the apostles said, pleased the whole gathering. And so the people chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenus and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So they've, they, there's a problem. It comes to the leader's attention. The leaders come up with a solution. The people agree. They select these spiritually qualified uh, leaders, and they set them into ministry. The growing church... There was growing pains because of the growing church. New kind of problem uh, bubbled up. And they're adapting. They're adapting. Situations change. People change. uh, Problems arise. Some things go smoothly. Some things don't. And so the early church adapts and meets the needs and raises up more leaders and maintains the unity. And you can tell that this is successful. this, um, This unity... And this, this uh, way they're fixing the problem is successful because the widows are going to be cared for. Because new leaders are raised up. We're going to see in the next few chapters of Acts how significant Stephen, Philip are in the early church. And the other way we know that this plan is successful is because the church did not lose sight. Here's, here's where we're going to close. Is we're going to think about this last piece. The way we also know this was a successful way to handle this problem is because the church did not lose sight of its mission. Instead of division weakening our witness, instead of our division causing us to fight with one another and not spend time on pointing people to Jesus, instead of that, linking arms and choosing unity and choosing to be brothers and sisters in Christ And coming together on what's most important, because they were able to do that here in Acts 6, the church did not lose sight of its mission, to bring glory to Jesus. Because unity strengthens their witness. What's the result? Verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So they didn't lose track of their mission. Their, 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 this potential problem arose. The friction could have divided, could have caused them to look away from the mission, to look away from Jesus, to stop doing what they were supposed to do. And instead, they chose unity and stayed focused on what God had given them to do. You know, there's times when we, when we think, okay, we've got to build our community. We've got to focus on the other Christians. We've got to spend time with each other. And it's important. And there are lots of ways that that's important. But maintaining unity here in this passage did not lead them to neglect evangelism. Just because they were focused on unity, just because they were focused on solving a problem among Christians, did not take them away from the mission, did not take them away from sharing the good news of Jesus. In fact, church family, in fact, as you grow in Jesus, as you become, as as Jesus transforms you from the inside out, it's going to lead to unity with brothers and sisters, and it's going to lead to increased evangelism. It's going to lead to increased living on mission. Your working together with Christians, your coming together and gathering together and uniting and worshiping together leads us to living out the ways of Jesus. So, when we feel slighted, let's go back to the beginning really quick. When we feel slighted, overlooked, discriminated against when we think life's unfair when situations don't go the way we hope or or each believer takes responsibility for the church family each believer links elbows and seeks unity Each believer jumps in to serve and give of their time and their energy and use their spiritual gifts for the good of the body. And in doing so, we free up others for doing what they do best, for freeing up our leaders to do what they do best. And unity strengthens our witness. And if unity strengthens our witness, then the gospel proclamation goes forward unhindered because we're not messing, wasting time, fighting amongst each other. Because of unity, because of striving for what God has for us, the gospel message, the good news of Jesus, goes forward unhindered. And as a result, lives are changed by the goodness of Jesus. And that's what Faith Church exists for. That's what God has for you, Faith Church, is to come together in unity so that the gospel proclamation goes forward and so that God-sized results come. Father in heaven, thank you for a chance to study your word together. Father, we tend toward murmuring. I tend toward murmuring. When I come up against something that's not going my way, when I... Don't understand when I feel frustrated. God, there are times when I give in to murmuring. And so, God, if, that, if, we, if we're feeling like that's the case for us, sometimes, Lord, we confess to you that we tend toward murmuring, that we tend toward self, that we tend toward what's best for us. And so we confess this posture of our heart and mind Forgive us, Lord. God, by your grace, would you help us to work toward unity? Even when we have misunderstandings, even when we have disagreements, even when problems arise, even when there's a legitimate problem and, and something is neglected or something is broken, would you, God, would you, by your grace, help us to avoid assumption and instead seek truthfulness with one another out of love for one another we thank you father for the cross thank you for sending your son that through jesus we can have new life and we pray that as a church family our growing unity would strengthen our witness that as we choose each other that as we refuse to leave a gap between our hands We pray that you would use that to strengthen our witness, that the city of Dallas, the state of Oregon, and that the world would see the greatness of Jesus because of what you are doing in and through us. We love you, Lord, and we want to live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.